Hey, how's it going? I got my long hair back. Are you growing yours out, Chris? Let's do it. Hey, uh, it's Collide Conference. Have you wait? You've been waiting for this all year long. How many are excited? It's finally here. Man, it's incredible to see. Uh, man, we got a little Empire's towel up here. Anyways, um, it's it's so incredible to see all these young people, man, uh, out here on a what Friday night? Is it Friday night? It's incredible, you guys. Right? That's Friday night, isn't it? Um, but it's incredible being here. Listen, I've I've known. I've uh, been friends with this church for a while, and uh, we've got a church in Oklahoma City. It's where I'm from. Uh, you, anytime you say Oklahoma City, you've got to bring up the Oklahoma City Thunder. Any Thunder fans here? Yeah. So, I mean, if you're not a Thunder fan, you're from Arkansas, what else are you, right? Well, anybody? Okay. Anyways, but uh, we're from Oklahoma City, a church called Church of the Harvest. Hey, I'm not going to need this. What should I do with this? I'm going to move it over. I'm just going to throw it. Um, the keyboardist can have it. Uh, but so I'm from Oklahoma City, a church called Church of the Harvest. And um, I want to tell you that our, our church is known of this church. I've been friends of the church uh, for a while. And uh, how many of you are from this church? Like this is your home church, one of the campuses. Uh, so amazing. And what, a, what an amazing church you have. You know, I think as young people sometimes we uh, underestimate the power of a church like this that really believes in the next generation. And uh, let me just tell you, it's very rare to have a church like this. And we've gleaned so much from this church. And again, at, when you're in this church, it's tough to realize that you guys are literally making a difference throughout the whole nation, not just with what you're doing with the, uh, adult service and all that, but right here what you're doing in Collide, you're making a huge impact and you're all a part of this thing. And uh, I love this church. And let me just say, too, it's rare to have senior pastors that believe in young people this much. And I've been around a lot of different churches, and uh, I'm fortunate. My dad is a senior pastor of our church. I'm fortunate to have a, a senior pastor similar to you guys. But I absolutely adore Pastor Rick and Michelle Bizet. Can we give them a big round of applause? They're incredible. And it's hard for young people. I'm telling you, this is a big deal. He believes in you. And uh, that speaks so much. And, you know, we had, we had fun. He served me some, uh, what was it, Oreo ice cream uh, last night. It was pretty good. Everyone, I think he's going to throw a party. Everybody's invited maybe next week or something. No. Teasing. So uh, we got to get into this because I, I came to preach. Is that okay? Came from Oklahoma City to preach. But uh, I've got a few, well, I've got a few people here. My, my wife is here, my wife Monica. Would you stand up real quick and just wave? Monica, she's awesome. Give her a big round of applause. Monica, a little habanero pepper. She's uh, spicy. And um, my kids are actually here, but they're in the back somewhere running around, probably ruining your church, Pastor Rick. No, I'm kidding. Uh, no, they're running around. They're, uh, Naomi, my daughter, is uh, four. She'll, almost be, she'll be five here in just a couple of weeks. And then my son, Boston, is three years old. And uh, I love my family. They're so incredible. And then one, I know I'm, I'm taking a lot of time here, but, uh, man, I love, don't you guys love Chris and Kat? Your youth pastors here are so cool. I love it. So, man, I came from, uh, again, Oklahoma City, and, and we're going to have fun tonight. But I, I got to just say this. You know, it's the opening night of a, an amazing conference 
that, like Pastor Rick was saying, will propel you into the school year. I love where this is placed because you've gone through the summer, and I don't know what you've done with your summer, but here's what I think Collide is here to say. It's time to get serious. It's time to get your focus on God. It's time to shape your life around the mission of Jesus and what he has for your life. Too many young people were concerned with what we're going to do with our agenda rather than surrendering to the fact that God has a plan for us and we should seek his plan and chase after his plan. I think that's what Collide is all about. Right before you get into the school year, you're getting around God's plan and discovering what he wants for you. So I I know it's the first night here, but uh, so much of a, a night like this has to do with how much you're expecting to hear from God. Okay, because I got news for you. I'm preaching from the Bible. And when you preach from the word of God, there's always something to be received. The question is whether you're hungry for a word or not, because I'm going to preach the word of God. Okay, and there's going to be some things said that will minister to you. I believe God wants to change everybody in here. I think everybody ought to leave a little bit different than how you came in. But it's not up to me or how good I preach. The word of God is going to be spoken. Honestly, here's what it comes down to you. Are you here tonight for more than just hanging out with friends? Are you here tonight for more than just seeing what this guy with the Yeezys on? Whoa, I had to throw it out there. What's up? Hey, uh, uh, what's up? Um, is it more than that? Is it going to be funny? Am I going to have fun? Am, am I going to text through this? No. Are you here to get a word from God? That's the question you have to ask yourself. And I would pray the answer is yes. Because if you set your expectation that, listen, I want to hear from God. I'm going through some stuff. I need some uh, rest in my soul. I need some strength. I need some hope. I promise if you put your faith out there, God will always meet your faith. He will never let you down. So tonight, are you hungry for a word? I need need you to get a little little bit louder than that because if not, I don't even think I should preach. Are you ready to hear a word from God tonight? You know, uh, I was really thinking about what I should speak, and uh, I'll just be really upfront about this message. I'm here tonight to convince you how much God loves you, how much God truly loves you. And uh, I know you, you listen to that and say, wow, that's <laughs> what, a, what a crazy revelation, right? I know that God loves me, but I actually think that young people today, we stop so short in discovering how much God actually loves us. How much he wants to do with every single part of our lives. How involved he is. How much closer he is to you than you would even imagine. And here's the deal. For you to live out this whole Christian life that we, that we talk about and we encourage you to live, it's not going to be by fear that, hey, I better not do the wrong thing or else God's going to be mad at me or I better not do the wrong thing or bad things. are going No, that's not what motivates people to live for God. Here's what motivates people. A relationship where you're madly in love with your heavenly father that motivates you to live for him. It's not fear that motivates, it's love that motivates us. So tonight, I am, I am so convinced that God wants to reveal his deep love for each and every one of you tonight on a level that you've never experienced before. I fully expect by the end of the night, we're all going to be standing together in the presence of God, overwhelmed by the Spirit of God, sensing his love and embrace for us like we never have before. If you're with me, say amen. Amen. You know, tonight as I preach, you know, uh, don't let me be by myself. Throw an amen out there every once in a while. Everybody say amen. Amen. Say "Preach preach it. 
Uh, say, come on. Say, make it plain. <laughs> if it really stings and it really gets you, just be like, oh, shots fired. No. Um, but uh, I'm here to convince you again how much God loves you. How many of you would say, you know, thinking about God, sometimes it seems so massively overwhelming. Thinking about God that he rules the, the universe Governments, galaxies, no name, no power exempt from his rule, not just for the time being, but forever. God is so massive. He's, he's, sometimes it's really daunting to think about the epic proportions of who God is, right? That's pretty tough to get your mind around. Have you ever thought about different things about God and uh, you've just let yourself go there? Like, how many of you have sat and thought about the concept of forever? You ever done that before until your mind just explodes and you don't even know what to do with yourself? Just me? Think about forever and, you know, long time, and then after that it's going to keep going. And there's all these things about God. You know, we think about the fact, you know, the universe is so massive and large and continually expanding. And I've done this before. (laughs) I find myself just sitting there with a blank stare thinking about, like, the massiveness of the universe. Anybody else space, space out like that every once in a while? Or is it just me? I think about these things. And sometimes it's overwhelming. You know what? Sometimes I think that we get caught up in thinking about these things that we can't fully comprehend about God and how big he is, that we miss what he's actually given us to understand. But if we'll look at what he's given us to understand about him, I think that these massive mysteries will be able to be explained, and you'll understand them more and more. You see, I think this whole relationship with God, and let me say this, I don't know if you know God tonight. I don't know if you've made Jesus your Lord and Savior, which is the only way to enter in the family of God. I don't know where you're at. If you believe in this this whole thing called Christianity or whether you've been in church for a long time, I don't know where you're at. But I know that it's tough sometimes when you just think about the, the, the magnitude of God and all this stuff, it gets overwhelming. And you think, who am I? Just this one person out of billions of people. How does this work? How am I supposed to connect with this God? Well, You know, when I had kids, I began to understand God a lot better. When I had kids, I began to understand God a lot better. You know, uh, my kids are here, and um, I love my family. How many love your families? I love them. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, I want nothing more than to be with my family. I love them so dearly. I love to be a father to my children. I love my wife. My family is what, man, it is all about. I want to be with my family at all times. I I love my family. You know, my family, I want to provide for them. And if you're a dad in here, you can relate. My family, I want to protect them at all costs. You ask me if, would I die for one of my kids or would I I put my life uh, out there for for just anybody? Well, no, none of y'all. But for my family, absolutely. And you know what? We're made in the image of God. So it actually makes total sense to think about this. Here's what God really wants. He wants an intimate relationship with his family. Listen to this. I don't know where you're at with this whole thing, but I'm here to tell you God wants you. Why? Because you're his kid. You know, when my kids were born, they did nothing to earn my love. No, they just cried a lot. But I was smitten with love for them. 
would do anything for my little babies. And that's how God is, you know, the daunting thing to try to process and realize that this great God of the universe, that really what he wants is just a relationship with me. And that's so tough to realize, but that is the truth. And for me to know how much I love my kids and then to multiply that times who knows how much and consider how much God loves you, gosh, how can we not feel loved? How can we not feel loved? You know, we think about characteristics of God, and uh, again, sometimes it can seem pretty daunting, but tonight, here's what you have to realize is God wants you in his family so bad. And again, I don't know where you're at, but I think tonight a lot of people are going to make a decision to enter the family of God. I really believe that. And here's the thing. God loved us so much, and he loves you so much right now. And if you, you, you know much about the Bible, you've heard of a man named Jesus. You've heard of a man named Jesus. And God sent his son. You know, there was, a, there was an issue. There was separation between us and our heavenly father because of something called sin. But God sent his son Jesus to deal with that sin problem. All of us have sinned and fallen short. Can I get an amen on that one? And the thing about our heavenly father is that he can't mix with sin. He's perfect, but he loves us and wants us so badly that even though we've sinned so much and racked up all this sin debt, he came up with a plan to get us back to him to welcome us back into his family. And here's what it took. Sending the best that heaven had to offer to earth to die a criminal's death, which is the death that we deserve for the sins we committed. He died that death on the cross for us so that now when we receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, we're, we get to enter into the family of God. The Bible says our sins are no longer held against us, that Jesus, the blood of Jesus, covers our sins. So I want to tell you, we're going to go through a, a passage of Scripture here real quick, and then we'll be done. And, but I want tonight, I want you to understand God's love for you. And there's a, there's a little passage in the Bible where Jesus is explaining, and he's trying to go into detail about how much your heavenly Father loves you. You know, Jesus is walking the earth, and he's, he's uh, doing ministry, and, and there's moments where he will give these stories or give these, these kind of shadows of what the new covenant, after he dies on the cross, after he pays for the penalty of sin, and after we get to come into the family of God through the blood of Jesus, he gives these, these foreshadows of what it's going to look like. And I want to pick up on a parable here that Jesus talks about, and it's all about God's love for us. And uh, I want to look at the scripture. Everybody turn to uh, chapter, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 15, verse 11. And we're going to read a few scriptures here through 32. Oh my goodness, that's a lot of scripture. Luke chapter 15, verse 11 uh, through 32. Everybody doing okay? Yeah? Are y'all ready? Luke chapter 15. Now, I want you to hear this. This is a parable that's commonly known as the parable of the prodigal son. Anybody ever heard of that before or familiar with this at all? So here's what I want to encourage you with. If you've heard this before, I want you to listen with some fresh ears because I guarantee you there are some things within this parable that I think God wants to reveal to you tonight that maybe you've never thought of, maybe you never heard before. And I hope you know that the Bible is alive and active, meaning that 
On this very night, the word of God is speaking to you about your situation. So as I'm talking to you, I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to talk to you as well about wherever you're at, whatever you're struggling with. Come on, let's all be real here and identify that we're all going through something, one thing or another. We've been through some stuff. And God wants to reveal how much he loves you tonight. And Jesus has given this picture of the Father's love. Here we go. You ready? Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Here's what it says. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. Now, real quick, does anybody really know what the word prodigal means? You know, I always thought the word prodigal kind of meant that it was somebody who would go away and sin and kind of like fall away from God and then come back. That's not the meaning at all, actually. That's not what it even means. The word prodigal, when you look up the definition, here's exactly what it means. If I can find it here. It means wastefully or recklessly extravagant. Lavishly abundant. And here's what I want to say to you tonight. Obviously, in this story, if you know it at all, the son lives a little bit that way, but I think the father's love is actually pretty wastefully extravagant and lavishly abundant. I think the word prodigal actually better describes the father in this story than it does the son. So I want to title this message, and I I know I can't believe I'm just saying the title. I should have done this like 10 minutes ago. Title is The Prodigal Father. Write that down if you're taking notes. Jesus, we love you. Help us get through this quick. And we pray that you'd move in a mighty way. Amen. Wow, I'm all mixed up. Should have prayed a long time ago. Here we go. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told him this story. A man had two sons. Notice even the main character where it starts with is a man, the father. Starts with the father. Verse 12. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now, before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. Now, you got to understand something about an inheritance, right? You don't get an inheritance until the person passes away. Do we all understand that? Like, you don't get your share of your inheritance or whatever's been stored up for you until the father would pass away. And in that day, here's basically what the son is saying. This younger son is walking up to his dad. He's saying, I know I have a pretty big inheritance that's coming my way one day when you die. But, hey, dad, I don't really care if you're dead or alive. Doesn't matter to me. I want my inheritance right now. This little punk son goes up to his dad, basically says, hey, dad, drop dead. I could care less. I want my money. I want the inheritance. Give it to me right now. What a little punk, right? If I was a dad, I would have gotten arrested. No, I don't know. (laughs) But this kid goes up. What arrogance, right? How insulting. He says, dad, drop dead. It doesn't matter to me whether you're dead or alive. I want my inheritance now. I don't want to be a part of this family. So the father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. Now listen to this, verse 13. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. Anybody ever like ran away before? (laughs) Got a little bit down the street, came back. I did that a few times. So he packed all his belongings, this inheritance, and he moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild 
living. Sometimes young people don't realize that money runs out. Anybody ever learned that the hard way? Money runs out. Now, the Bible here kind of lets your imagination go. It says he went to a distant land and spent all his money in wild living. I'll let you define wild living. He probably moved to like Vegas or something and just went crazy. What's up? Verse 14. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. Verse 15. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. Now, again, you got to track with me on this story. Are you with me? So this kid is in this rich household. He convinces his dad to give him his money, his inheritance, this wealth right now. And he goes, he wastes it in wild living. There's a famine that sweeps over the land. Now he's starving. He was once just living it up in his dad's house, had everything he wants. Now he's begging a local farmer to hire him because he's starving, okay? Started from the top at the bottom, right? This kid is, he's totally at rock bottom. Now listen. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. Ain't nothing against pig farmers. If we got some in here, but it's not my first choice. Feeding pigs. Verse 16, the young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. You know, I can't help my imagination. This kid gets so hungry that even the nasty stuff that he's feeding the pigs starts to look appetizing to him. But the Bible says, but no one gave him anything. My, like, ADD imagination can't help but, like, imagine the pigs just going, mm-mm, can't have any of this. <laughs> Not even the pigs. Nobody gives him anything. Can you imagine if you would have done this with your life, had everything and wasted it, and now you found yourself starving at the lowest of the low, which some of you might feel like that's exactly where you are tonight. And you're begging to be fed from somebody, but no one's giving you anything. It's because you're looking to the wrong place. Some of you are here tonight at this rock-bottom moment, and I believe you're about to discover what God says about you, and he's about to pick you up out of that place. So no one gave him anything. Even the pigs, like, "Mm mm-mm, this is mine. Can't have any. Verse 17, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am, dying of hunger. Verse 18, I'll go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. Now, now check this out. A lot of people would identify this moment in the story. Like this is where he gets a repentant heart. This is where he realizes he's wrong and he wants to go back and tell his dad he's sorry and all of that stuff. Now, I don't really see that here. You know, what I, you know what I know is that teenagers are smart. Here's what the Bible says. It doesn't say that he was overwhelmed with repentance. No, it says he came to his senses. He said, yo, I'm starving, 
And even the hired servants at my dad's house got enough food. I think I ought to come up with a little speech here to try to get my dad just to get me back so that I can have some food. I don't really see any repentance here. I just see a teenager doing what they do best, which is manipulate. Are you with me? <laughs> what are you talking about? No. His parents are like, amen. <laughs> I, there's no repentance here even yet. I don't see it. No, he's just hungry. And he knows the right words to say in order to try to get back in his father's house. So, this young man, here's what happens. And here's where the story gets beautiful. Here's where this just gets amazing. Verse 20. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son embraced him, and kissed him. Wow, this is so opposite of what I would have done with my son, right? This kid's coming back. I would have made him walk the walk of shame. But this dad, he goes and he's filled with compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. And then his son says, wait, wait, I, I I got my speech prepared. Hold on. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Now notice that the son doesn't even get to finish his speech. He says, I'm no longer worthy. I'm no longer worthy. I've sinned against both heaven and you. But remember the speech he rehearsed was going to go on to say, would you please just take me on as a hired servant so that I could have food to eat? But the father interrupts him. You know why? Because your heavenly father will never let you earn his gifts. You know why we stand right before God? It's not because of what we have done or have not done. It's because of what Jesus did on the cross on our behalf. And every blessing and the favor and the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of God is not hinged on what you're going to do or not do. It's not hinged on the performance of your life. It's hinged on the performance of Jesus Christ at the cross. And he died. He took all of our sins, but he didn't stay on that cross. Three days later, he rose again. He defeated death, hell, and the grave. And it's because of his performance that we get these great gifts from God. Our job is not to earn any of them. Our job is to receive them. And the father doesn't even let him continue with his speech. He says, no, son, I've got a lot of gifts, and I've been waiting to give them to you. He goes again. He says, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Verse 23. He says, and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and is now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began, a.k.a. it's okay to party in church. 
Verse 25, now we're not going to get into this next section too much, but I just want you to see something. So I'm going to read this real quick. Verse 25, meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. There's two sons here. The, the younger one left, wasted all his money, did despicable things while the older one was still at the house. He never left his dad's house. He stayed and he worked and he was faithful and he stayed here. The older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. Again, music and dancing. Okay, in church. What's up? It's in the Bible. Verse 26. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your, your brother's back, he was told. And the father's killed the, the fattened calf. We're celebrating because of his safe return. Now check this out. Verse 28. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years I've slaved for you. And never once refused to do a single thing you told me. And in all that time, you never even gave me a young goat for a feast with my friends. It's like pouting here. What's happening? Yet, when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing a fattened calf. This older brother is obviously jealous and he's irritated. And he's angry. He's like, Dad, I just wanted a, like a little party with just a little goat. You didn't have to give me the fattened calf, and you wouldn't even do that. Now listen to this. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed with me, and everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. Now, if you'll see what's going on here, a lot of people would chalk this whole story up to a simple someone who was a Christian and maybe went away and sinned and then came back to God, and that's what the story's about. No, here's what the story's about. The overwhelming, crazy, mad, insane love of God. Because check this out. Even the son that stayed in the house the whole time still did not fully comprehend the love that his dad had for him. He said, you didn't even give me a little party with my friends with a goat. And the dad says, son, everything I have is yours. If you wanted a party with a goat, just ask. This is not just about some, you know, uh, ev uh, evangelist story about the son coming back home. No, this is a revelation of the father's love. And we're about to get into the end here and close. And here's what I pray. Again, this is Jesus He's telling a story, a parable, about what the kingdom of heaven is like. And here's what I hope as we go into these final moments. That you would allow, as I reveal some things in this passage of scripture, you would allow the Holy Spirit to settle in your heart and to convince you how much God loves you. See, I don't, I don't know where you're at. I don't know if you're someone who's grown up in church your whole life or... I don't know if maybe you're like this older son. You've been around forever. And notice the older son says, Dad, I've done everything you've asked me to do. I've done the right stuff. I've attended church. I've, I've read my Bible. I set up chairs when you asked me to do. What is he doing? He's pointing at everything he's done to receive the good gifts of God. But that's not how it works. Here's how it works. You recognize, you discover how madly in love God is with you. You discover his love for you. You encounter God loves and you receive his gifts. That's how it works. So again, I don't know if you've been in church for a long time 
Or maybe, again, you're not used to this whole thing and, and you need to step into the family of God, but I pray these last moments together, God would move in this place. And that those of you that have lived your life feeling unloved, it would completely change. That tonight, your heart would be filled, overwhelmed with the love of your Father, the creator of the universe, that all he desperately wants is a relationship with you. He wants his family. We're going to pick up back in verse 20 and then close this thing out. You ready to close it out? I'm ready to preach. Let me get the keys up here. They'll help it be a little more spiritual, right? <laughs> Let's get the keys up here. Verse 20. You know, before we go in this last little section, I just want to, I know it's random, right? I'm not done yet, but I just want to pray for one second. Maybe like 10 seconds, but <laughs> close your eyes. God, right now, we take these next few moments, the final part of this message, and we tune into you. God, even if our hearts have been hardened, and for whatever might have happened to us or whatever things in life might have happened that have made us try, maybe try to turn away from you or maybe we're stuck in a routine that God, you'd begin to melt that right now. God, that walls of defense are crumbling. They're melting away. Not because of fear to live a right way, no. Because your perfect love is crumbling those walls. And those of us that have had a shield and we've rejected or we won't let you fully in, that God, in these last few moments, you speak to the very depths of our heart. Thank you, God. Speak to us. Everybody look at me. These last few moments is not about how good I preach. It's about what you're going to receive from your heavenly Father and how much he loves you. So verse 20 says, he returned home to his father. Again, the son, he went out and wasted all his money, wasted everything, the life that his dad gave him. He did so much wrong, committed so much sin, all these horrible things, and, but he returned home to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son embraced him and kissed him. A few things happened here that the father did. This is all about the father from here on out. The first thing that happened is the father looked for his son. The father looked for his son. This reveals something about your father God. You know, I can just imagine this story that, uh, again, it says that the father saw him from a long way off. And I don't think that that's by coincidence, you know. Maybe one day he just walked out and all of a sudden saw him a long way off. No. You know what I think? The father was probably out there every single day. Probably pacing back and forth. Waiting. With such anticipation. Waiting for his son. Just to see him a long way off. The first thing he did is he looked. And I can imagine maybe even everyone in the neighborhood looking at this man you know, this elderly man, this Jewish man that, that keeps walking back and forth, and maybe people are like, he's never coming home. 
The father doesn't give up, does he? No. He looks. He's waiting. And some of you feel very far off from God. Let me tell you something. He sees you. He sees you. And though you may feel far off from God, it's not because he's left you. No, no, no. Emmanuel, God with us. It's not because God's left you. No. Many times we turn because we feel this guilt and shame from the stuff that we've done. And, but God all the while is right here looking and waiting. He looked for his son. I'm telling you right in this moment, you need to hear this. God sees you. He's looking with anticipation. He wants you. He's looking at you. Second thing that happens is when he sees his son, he's filled with compassion. He's filled with compassion. Now, think about this. The son that just did all this stuff against his dad, right? Tells him to drop dead, goes, spends all his money, wastes everything. All that happens is his dad sees him from a long way off, and immediately the dad is filled with compassion. Notice the son has not even repented yet. The son has not said, hey, dad, I'm sorry. But immediately, the sight of his son, the father is filled with this great compassion, overwhelmed by it. And I'm telling you, I don't know, I don't care where you feel like your relationship is with God. He sees you and he is brewing with compassion and love. He is so madly in love with you. And it gets better. Are you ready for what's about to happen? Because I believe what's about to happen here in this story is going to happen spiritually tonight. Number three, the third thing that happened, he ran to his son. Oh, this is where it gets good. He ran to his son. This is so revealing of the father's love for you and I. You know, he sees his son. He's filled with compassion. And then what does he do? He can't help himself. You know, in the original translation here, there's, there's a couple of meanings for the word ran. There's, there's a meaning that, that says, you know, you would jog at a steady pace. And then there's another meaning of the word that's basically an all-out sprint, just running as fast and wildly as possible. And that is the precise word that's used in the Bible right here. See, this father was so overwhelmed with compassion. He couldn't contain himself. If you could imagine this in that day, probably an elderly man, probably dressed nice, had a long Jewish robe, but he sees his son, and this dad is so excited, probably hiked that robe up and took off running, said, son, you're back. He couldn't help himself. He ran to his son. I'm telling you, God is running after you. He so desperately wants relationship that intimacy with you. And you think that the things that you've done or you're doing are blocking you from relationship with God. And God says, son, daughter, have you heard about what my son did on the cross for you? See, that distance that was there because of sin, Jesus took care of that. And now when you enter in to Christ Jesus, you can now enter the family of God and he's running towards you. The next thing that happens, it gets better. It gets better. It says, he embraced him. Are you still with me? 
He embraced him. He ran towards the son and embraced him. Now again, he embraced him. I don't know what you guys think about when you think about an embrace, but the better, better word here to use is he gave him a bear hug. I like a good bear hug every once in a while, right? just feels good. Maybe that's what we'll do for ministry. Pastor Chris will be down front just giving bear hugs at the end. No, but this father runs towards his son. And he gives him this massive bear hug. Now remember that this son had just got done feeding pigs. This son was probably filthy, smelt horrible, stuff all over him. Just nasty, filthy, but check this out. The filth of his son did not for an instant separate him from the embrace of his father. Nope. He ran. He said, come here, son. He gave him this bear hug. And you know that the filth of the son had to get on the father. But that did not stop the father from embracing his son. And so, some of you, it's because we don't understand what Jesus really did for us at the cross, but we think that what we've done wrong keeps us from this intimate relationship with our heavenly father. God said, I've defeated sin. I've conquered death, hell, and the grave so that you and I could have intimacy and relationship. It's time we stop letting the enemy convince us that we're too bad or we're not good enough to be close to God. That is not true. You are not righteous because of what you do or don't do. You've been made right with God because of what Jesus has done. And anytime the accuser, Satan says, you're not good enough, you can't be in relationship with God like that, you say, excuse me, have you heard what my Savior did for me? I get to stand behind what he did for me. It's no longer up to what I do or don't do. No, I live in Christ Jesus. Therefore, I am perfect in the eyes of God. He embraced his son. It gets better. Next thing he does is he kisses him. He kissed him. Now, this kiss is so significant. I'm almost done. I don't have a timer. I'm trying to figure out. I was probably supposed to be done like a while ago. Okay. I feel bad. I don't like to do that, but I will. But if you're making me, no. He kissed his son. Now, you're like, whoa, hey, it's like a probably teenager. I don't really like, you know, dad kissing me. Hey, what's up? Don't do that. It's in public, whatever. But he runs towards the son. He hugs him, and then he kisses him. And the reason this kiss is so significant is several reasons here. Listen to this. In this day, in that time, a kiss signified something pretty major. If someone was to commit a crime, they would go before the king, and the king would give them their judgment. And the only way that that person could go free, and no matter what they did, if it was murder, if it was robbery, whatever, there was one thing that the king could do. This is in the, the, the legal side of things, literally, in that day. If the king would get up off his throne and go down to the person who committed the crime and kiss them on the forehead, it would signify that all of those crimes have been officially pardoned. And now they're completely free. 
and you could never reverse that. And what does his father do? He runs to his son, hugs him, embraces him, and kisses him. You're forgiven, son. But not only that, the word kiss here, in the original language, again, kiss doesn't do it justice. You know, I think about my kids, and can you really think about this dad, right? This older guy that hikes up his robe and sprints down this dirt road, all out abandonment, grabs his son and flings him around, and then just goes, no, that doesn't make sense. No, actually, the better translation is he kissed fervently and repeatedly. I know what that means because I'm a dad. When I get home and I've been gone for a long time, my little daughter, Naomi, she just is, Daddy, you know, it's the best feeling ever. I pick her up and squeeze her, and she's like, Dad, I can't breathe. You know, I'm like kissing her over, she's like, stop it. And then I'm like, okay, I'm done with you. Grab Boston and kiss him. I'm just so in love, and this dad is overwhelmed. Kissing over and saying, forgiven, you're forgiven, you're forgiven, you're forgiven, you're forgiven, you're forgiven. Mercies are new every day. You need to hear that. Some of you feel like you've blown it, you've messed up. There's no way that God could still believe in me. There's no way that God could still love me. No, his mercies are new every day. It doesn't matter what you've done. God's love is bigger than your sin. He loves you so much. You know, we're almost done here. We're going we're gonna to worship. His son said to him, again, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to his servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Are you all ready? We're about to worship. Come in a little bit. Give me a little symbol, something. Okay. He says, get the finest robe. So he's just overwhelmed his son. He's kissing him repeatedly, and he looks back, and he says, go get the finest robe in the house. The significance here is this is not just any robe. No, it's the family robe. It's the one that is only issued to the family. In other words, he's saying, I'm hugging you. I don't care that you're filthy and messy. I'm going to take on your your uncleanness. I'm going to take on your filth. And I'm going to wrap you in a new robe of righteousness, saying you are established back into the family. doesn't matter what you've done. I'll take the sin. I'll take the punishment. And I'll give you a new robe of righteousness. He says, get the finest robe and put it on him. Then he says, get a ring for his finger. Get a ring for his finger. And this is not just any ring. It's what's called a signet ring. It had a symbol, the family seal on it. And here's what this means. If you had a ring with the family seal, it was almost like having the family credit card, okay? All the wealth, all the riches that belonged to that family, you could sign something with wax and say, and put your seal in wax and say, I have the authority of the name on this seal. He says, get a ring and put it on his finger. In other words, son, you're welcome back. And anything you ask for in my name, it will be given to you. You might have felt like you've blown your inheritance, but God says, I've got a new ring for your finger. I've got a new inheritance for you. I can reestablish this grace and favor in your life. It says, get a ring for his finger. We carry the authority of the name of Jesus with us now. And then there's this last part that's pretty peculiar. There's this last part that I was reading and thinking, you know, what is the significance here? He says, get a robe, get a ring. 
The last thing he says is, get sandals for his feet. I'm like, okay, get sandals for his feet. I, I get it, the robe and the ring and, okay, but get sandals for his feet. Like, what's so mega about sandals? <laughs> get sandals for his feet, the dad says. He says, come on, get sandals, put some sandals, put some shoes on them. Put shoes on his feet. Get sandals on his feet. He's home, so get some sandals on his feet. I'm thinking, what? What is it? What is it? Get sandals for his feet. Put some sandals on my son's feet. Get sandals on his feet. Come on, God, what is it? Get sandals. Get some sandals and put, I'm not going crazy, I'm going somewhere. Put sandals on his feet. This is one of the most profound statements about the new covenant with God. Because as I was looking at this, I read a commentary and was reminded of the last time somebody entered the presence of the Father. It was when Moses came to God in the form of a burning bush. And what did the burning bush say to Moses? It says, take those sandals off your feet because you're standing on holy ground. In other words, you don't deserve to be standing here but what does this father say under the new covenant based on what Jesus has done for you he says get some sandals on his feet because he has every right to be in my presence he has every right to stand and be established back in my family it's not because he's done so much wrong it's not because he's done so much good it's because he's my son and I love him and I've got sandals for his feet you see God sent his son Jesus to pay a high price for you he purchased you through his blood he paid for the penalty of your sins because you can never pay for it yourself that's the good news of the gospel and some of you need to realize God wants an intimate relationship with you he's made a way for that to happen through Jesus Christ and it's time time is now for you to feel the embrace of your father the time is now everybody stand to your feet